All right, we want to welcome everyone that's here tonight and those who will be listening to this via YouTube. We are going to continue with mind-brain connections. This is lesson number 148. And I'm going to be talking about quite a few things tonight. I want to talk about what Aquarius looks like. What does the age of Aquarius really look like? According to Revelation chapter 4. And then I want to talk about the living creatures that cry, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who is, who was, and is to come. And then I want to also talk about casting our crowns before the throne. So many times we hear people quote that as casting our crowns before the feet of Jesus. Now, I haven't really found that scripture in the Bible. It might be there. If you find it, let me know. But it says, casting our crowns, in Revelation 4, before the throne. Now, what is the throne? The throne is when we join the left and the right together. When we yield the left and we join the mind of Christ, plant the seed into our feminine principle, the virgin consciousness, we create then a, a throne. And what is a throne? But a throne is where we rule from. What are we ruling? We're ruling over the lower thoughts. So I want to go back... And if you have your Bibles or your uh, devices, whatever you use to follow along, we'll be going in Revelation chapter 4. But before I get there, I want to go back to Revelation chapter 2. And I taught a little bit about this the last time, a couple weeks ago. And in Revelation chapter 2, if you remember, there were two disciples by the name of John and Peter that came to Jesus. It was time for the Passover to be celebrated. And they came to Jesus, and they asked him where they should go to prepare for the Passover. And how many remember what he said? He said, when you see the man with the water pitcher. Now, they knew that that had to do with the constellations, because women never carried water pitchers, or women carried the water pitchers, excuse me, the men didn't. And so they knew when Jesus said, when you enter the city, you're going to meet a man carrying the water pitcher, Follow him into the upper room. And he was trying to tell them that that's what the new Passover is. They wanted to prepare for the normal Passover that they had previously celebrated and had with Jesus. And so Jesus said, no, I'm going to do it a different way with you. In fact, in Matthew, I think it's chapter 26, yes, Jesus said, I will not drink or partake of this Passover until I drink it new or fresh with you in my kingdom. So when they come to Jesus and they ask him, where are we going to celebrate this Passover? Where can we go to make ready for this Passover? He right away goes into verses 10 and 12, and he says, when you enter the city, now the city is our consciousness, when you enter the high consciousness, go into the upper room, follow the man with the water pitcher. Now, who's the man with the water pitcher? Well, it's the man Christ Jesus that is within us. So in other words, he's saying, turn within Go into the upper room, the higher consciousness. And when you go into the higher consciousness, you're going to be brought into this large room that is furnished. And what he was trying to tell them was that that is what this new Passover is. And in verse 18 of Luke 22, he said that he was not going to partake of the Passover like he previously did with the disciples before, but is going to partake of it in a new way and in a fresh way. So what he was telling them, he was simply saying that this new Passover is you following the man, following the Christ within, turning within, you know, and I could couple this with John 14 too that says, in my father's house are many mansions. 
Many people think, well, that's all 50 million light years away to some physical heaven, but no, it's many dwelling places abide within us. So as we turn within, we experience those different dwelling places, those different levels of consciousness. So he said, when you see this man, follow this man that's carrying this water pitcher. And again, that's one of the constellations. If you would see you know, all of the constellations and you would see Aquarius, you would see a man carrying a water pitcher. The alignment of the stars would be in that fashion. So he was telling them that they would, once they come into this large room or turn within themselves and come into the higher consciousness, the Christ mind, have the two joined together, then they were going to experience something that was already furnished. There was nothing that they had to do. There was nothing that they had to, that they had to furnish for this Passover that they were asking him about celebrating. Now, we also know in Luke chapter 11 and verse 52, Jesus was saying there, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. And he said, You will not turn within. And he was sharing with them how the key of knowledge is turning within. And we know that in meditation. That's the key of knowledge that quickens the truth to us. He said, You not only won't go in, but you hinder those that want to go in. And he shared that with them. And so what am I saying? I'm simply saying the second coming that religion preaches today, that there's going to be a man that's going to hop on silver or a white horse and come back here dodging 747s and landing in Kennedy Airport or whatever airport we live the closest to, that is not the second coming of the Lord. The second coming of the Lord is this following this man following the man with the water pitcher, in other words, going on the inside of yourself, coming to the higher consciousness, and there you will see everything is already furnished. Now, let me say a few things about what we can expect, and it's already happening, what we can expect in this age of Aquarius. I know some people say, well, it came in 2012. Well, it may have come in 2012, but to me it's greater than that. It's greater than some, some date or some day on the calendar. Age of Aquarius is an experience. It's like John. It says he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day in the book of Revelation. That wasn't a Saturday or Sunday or some date you could point to on a calendar. Right. That was an experience he had in the realm of spirit. That's good. So a lot of changes are on the horizon and already beginning to happen in this age of Aquarius. Let me just give you a few things here. People are beginning to meditate as never before. As the church religion has said, oh, don't meditate, you know, you're going to open yourself to demons and devils. No, people are beginning to meditate more and more. Doctors are now, medical doctors are now getting into more alternative forms of medicine. We have a doctor that comes, has come to one of our conferences and wants to come when we have another one. Some of you met him. He was from Iowa. He was a, a, a medical doctor, a, a practitioner, and he now has switched over to alternative modalities, uh, being an alternative doctor. Hospitals are now also putting meditation rooms in their hospitals. We're finding this out. Companies, insurance companies are beginning, and my daughter's a massage therapist, so I know this is the fact. Some insurance companies are paying for massages to be given to people because they know that it helps along with better health. They're also beginning, slowly but surely, insurance companies are now beginning to pay for energy work. And so what we're seeing that this age of Aquarius is that scientific knowledge is proving beyond the shadow of a doubt that quantum is not against what we read in the scriptures, but quantum is full of the scriptures. Now, one of the other advantages of this age of Aquarius is it is called the age of enlightenment. 
And we know Jesus said, you shall know the truth. Know it. Not just know about it. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. We know that Daniel also prophesied that knowledge would increase, and we're seeing knowledge increase in so many different areas today. Another thing that I'm beginning to see is that, you know, I think there's going to be a time we're never going to darken the door of a bank again. Everything is going to be digitalized. Mm -hmm. It's going to be on our phone. What you have in the bank, how much money you have is going to be right there on your phone, and you're going to use that to buy and pay for everything. So uh, banks are going, to, are going to leave. We're going to and we're beginning to see blurred lines between Democrats and Republicans. The Democrats are beginning to talk to Republicans and Republicans to Democrats. Now, I'm, I'm not in that scene, but I'm just saying we're beginning to see who we really are. And we have to see who we really are to really know where we're headed and where we're going. And all the way, there are many, many things. And this is why, you know, Jesus said, physician, heal thyself. I believe that's an age of Aquarius experience. Physician, heal thyself. Meaning what? We learn to turn within. We learn to turn within. Follow the man with the water pitcher. In other words, turn within. Come into the higher consciousness. And as you come into the higher consciousness and the two are joined, you see that everything is furnished there. Now, we know that Paul the Apostle said in Romans chapter 8 and verse 7, he said there, it tells us there in Romans 8, 7, that the brain is the problem. When we think just out of the brain or the left hemisphere, that's the problem. That's where the intellect, the human reasoning, the logic, the ego, that's where all of that is. And where it says there that the carnal mind is an enmity against God or an enemy against God, it really shouldn't be that because there's only one mind. So what it really says there is, is carnal mindfulness is an enemy. It's our enemy. Carnal mindfulness is our enemy. And so once we begin to see that that's not going to get us anywhere. The left side's not going to get us anywhere in and of itself, just thinking out of our brain. But it's going to be as we slip into the Christ mind, if we're not already in the Christ mind, because I believe we're going to be very shortly walking so much in the Christ mind, there is no putting on of the Christ mind. We're just there. We're just in that. But what we want to see is the left and the right join together. We want to yield the lower thoughts. We want to yield even the intellect, the logic, the reasoning to what? Five senses, the physical realm, the emotions. We want to yield all that to the right side, which is the Christ mind. Now, what I happen to believe is anytime we have lower thoughts, since there's only one mind, it's just the Christ mind inverted. Takes a little while to think about that and meditate on that, but I believe it's just the Christ mind inverted. I believe anytime we see something that appears like a power, because there's only one power, it's just the power of God inverted. And you'll find that really in Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 7 where it says he formed the light, created the darkness. No, all he did was form the light. We're the ones in our awareness that inverted the light into the darkness. See, and once we begin to see some of those things, and I believe that those are things that are beginning <clears throat> to be revealed to us. Why? Because we're in the age of enlightenment. Enlightenment. Age of Aquarius is also the age of the feminine. What does that mean? We're going to have some kind of a feminist movement? Absolutely not. What it means is we're seeing the importance of joining the left and the right together. We're seeing the importance of the feminine. That's the womb. That is what projects out to the screen of our life and causes us to experience what we experience when we yield the left side to the right side or to the Christ mind.
Another prophetic thing that I believe is happening in the age of Aquarius is people are beginning to realize, like Paul said in Galatians 3.28, there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, there's none of that. We're beginning to realize in this age of enlightenment that there's only one blood. And you know the life of the flesh is in the blood. We no longer see in a racial way. We no longer... Uh, we no longer see black or white. Let me just say it how it is. We no longer see that as far as people are concerned. We no longer judge people by their nationality. And that's an age of Aquarius thing that is already beginning to happen in the world. Now, what I want to do, let's go back to Revelation chapter 4, and I want us to see what an Aquarian people look like. How does a people who are embracing this Aquarian age, how do they look and how do they live? And what are the things that stand out within their lives? And I think it's so interesting because part of the message today is what does Aquari an Aquarius age or what do Aquarian people look like according to Revelation chapter 4? Now I'm going to repeat a little bit of what we had the last couple of times and then I want to get in to the last four or five verses of Revelation chapter 4 and talk about those four beasts or the living creatures that cry night and day, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And then I want to talk about casting our crowns before the throne that we have created. So let me back up and just, you know, show you how this Aquarian people look like, show you some things that are true about them. And I believe we're all a part of this right now because we have entered not only the age that you can mark down on a calendar, but we have entered the age of the experience of Aquarius. We're being enlightened. We're realizing the importance of the feminine, sowing the seed into our virgin consciousness, the left side. So in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, notice there in the first verse it talks about an open door. And remember a couple weeks ago, I said that the open door is the age of Aquarius or the age of enlightenment or the age of the feminine, which I just explained. Then also in verse 1, it tells us that a door in heaven was opened. Where is heaven? Well, heaven is not 50 million light years away on some planet. You know, it's a literal planet with streets of gold, which the Bible doesn't even talk about streets of gold. It talks about one street of gold, which has to do symbolically with our walk. But anyhow... Heaven is the realm of spirit, including the spirit in us. When we turn within and follow the man with a water pitcher, what are we doing? We're turning into heaven. So there was this open door in heaven. So there's an open door in you and I tonight. This is how Aquarius looks like. Then also in verse 1, it says there was a trumpet that sounded. Where did the trumpet sound? It sounded from within. And I don't care. You can have the greatest preacher or teacher in front of you teaching you until the trumpet goes off on the inside of us. All it is is head knowledge. Which is good. I mean, we need that. But we need to move beyond that. So once this trumpet sounds... Now, what does a trumpet mean? Well, three things. A trumpet has to do with breath. A trumpet has to do with sound. And a trumpet has to do with harmony. So this trumpet is going off on the inside of us as we turn within. And these truths are being quickened and conceived within the womb of our consciousness, the left side. And notice what the trumpet is saying. Come up hither. In other words, when you see the waterman, follow the waterman, come into the upper room, the higher consciousness, and you'll come into a room that is already furnished. That's what it means, come up hither here. 
come into this experience of Aquarius. Then in verse 2, there was a throne in heaven where one sat. So when the left has yielded to the right, when the two have become one, what have we done? We have created a throne. What do we rule over? We rule over the lower thoughts. All of those negative thoughts that come and tell us things, whisper in our ear, oh, you're not the health of God the Father. God is not your health as you. He's not your wealth as you. He's not, you're just a worm. You came here as a sinner and you just had to say the sinner's prayer and get saved. Well, there's no place that the scripture says that, although we have thought for many, many years that it does say that. But notice it says there was a throne in heaven where one sat. Now, if you notice in your better Bibles, the word one is in italics, which means it's not even there. But even if it is there, it doesn't matter because what is it talking about? One sat? Who's the one that sat? How many know that Christ is a many-membered man? It's not just one man, Jesus Christ. He is now many-membered. He's a many-membered man. And to sit in the throne means you have come to a place of rest. You're not fighting, you're not binding and loosing and, you know, screaming at devils and demons and all that sort of a thing. You are resting. Anything that appears to be coming against you, you're resting in what? That room in you that is fully furnished. Yes. Isn't that good? Amen. Now, in verse 3 then, it begins to talk about these jewels. In verse 3 it states that one was at rest and, and this one was like a jasper. And then also it talks about a sardine stone in verse 3. Then it talks about a rainbow round about the throne likened to an emerald. Now let me go over this one more time. The jasper is white, a jasper is white, and it is the Christ mind. It's the mind of Christ within us. And it's like crystal. We found out it's just like crystal. And then the sardine, a sardine stone is red. And red, that color always speaks of emotions in the scripture. It talks about the Red Sea. Allegorically, that's talking about our emotions that had to do, remember, in the north, Dan was emotions. And then the rainbow. What does a rainbow do? Well, even in the natural, a rainbow, when you see a rainbow, it joins what? Heaven and earth together. You see it on earth, but you see it in the heavens, and that's what a rainbow is. So it, it represents, this rainbow represents the joining here <clears throat> of the masculine and the feminine within us. And then the last jewel there is the emerald. And, of course, it's green, and we know that green speaks of life, but not only does green speak of life, it speaks of the astral plane. Someone says, oh, that sounds a little out there. What is the astral plane? I believe the astral plane is in our subconscious. <clears throat> For example, if I would ask you to think about the home you were raised in, the house that you were raised in, you bring that to your hippocampus or your memory, what is that? You're getting that out of sort of like a computer that is in the subconscious. I have the subconscious way down here when we talked about the subconscious. You're drawing that up from the subconscious, the astral plane. It's like a little room in the subconscious that if you want, you can draw up some of those memories that maybe you haven't thought about for years. That's good. Now, if a doctor would cut your head open, he would never find the astral plane. He would never see the house you were raised in. If he cut you from head to toe, he would never see your spirit. He'd never see your Christ mind. That's all the invisible realm. And remember we talked about Romans chapter 1, I think verse 20, where it talks about the fact that all of the things that are made point to something invisible in us. Everything that is made, everything you can see points to something on the invisible realm within us. Wouldn't it be great had religion taught us that many years ago? <laughs> we, we'd probably be a little further along, 
than what we are right now, but that's just the way it goes many times, all right? Now, in verse 5, notice in verse 5 then, oh wait, I'm not done here, verse 4. Let me jump back up to verse 4. There we see four and twenty seats, and we see four and twenty elders seated on the seats. What is a seat? It's a seat of rest. And they have white raiment, crowns of gold upon their heads. Now, the twenty-four, we can look at the twenty-four courses of the priesthood in the Old Testament. We can look at the twenty-four cranial nerves. If you didn't have twelve cranial nerves on the right side and twelve on the left side, you could not think properly. Also, the number 20 is the number of the universe, and 4 is the fourfold aspect of man, spiritual, physical, intellectual, and emotional. So we can apply this to a lot of different areas, but mostly I want us to see that it's between our ears. And then notice it says crowns of gold. They had crowns of gold upon their head, meaning what? They had some gifts in their life, and later on we'll see what they did with those gifts and what we're to do with those gifts we are to what? We're to cast them before the throne. Again, we've made this throne by joining the masculine and the feminine together. We have created a throne that we rest in and that we rule from. Rule over what? Rule over the lower thoughts. Rule over any thoughts that would come. Even ruling over just the intellect that we are tempted to live by sometimes. Or the ego or human reasoning and so forth. Then in verse 5, out of this throne of joining the left and the right together... It says, proceeds lightnings and thunderings and voices. And it says, there were seven lamps of fire before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. So we've created this throne by joining the two together. We're resting in the throne. We rule in the throne over the lower thoughts. And look at this, lightnings. What does that mean? Out of this throne, once we've joined the two together, comes lightnings? Well, it just simply means truth is conceived and quickened within us. So that we can not just know about it in our head on the left side, but so we can experience it and walk in it. That's your lightnings. Thunderings have to do with shakings. Doesn't Hebrews say somewhere, I'm not even sure where it is, it says, all that can be shaken will be shaken until only that which cannot be shaken remains. What is that talking about? That's talking about right here between our ears. It brings change. These thunderings bring shakings within us, which bring changes in our awareness. Have any of you had a little shaking or a little, little, yeah, a little thundering going on when new truth or new to you was revealed to you? And then there were voices, and listen, the voices represent the instructions. And let me just say this. We need instructions before we get into the next chapter, which is the opening of the seals. And the reason I say that is because there are many people today, because the opening of the seals, when you're applying it to the physical anatomy, has to do with the energy fields on the back being opened, the energy coming up, enveloping the pineal, going to the right, and as it goes to the right, you come out of the spring of your life and you come into the summer of your life. First of all, what you do is you come out of the winter of your life. Remember I shared with you many times how that on the 21st of December, that's the darkest day of the year, the sun comes down, it's in the heart of the earth for three days and for three nights, then it begins to rise on the 25th of December, and as it rises, it comes up to Aries, which brings spring, and the Aries is also the pineal, then as it continues to the right, it envelops the pituitary, and then you are experiencing the land flowing with milk and honey, because one produces a milky-colored substance, another a honey-colored substance, a yellow-colored substance. 
So that's what the children of Israel, once they entered the promised land, they physically experienced the promised land. But to us, allegorically, it's as the solar plexus releases the energy and it comes up and envelops the pituitary or the pineal first and then the pituitary. So this is what, at the end of verse 5, where it says there were seven lamps of fire before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God, we can apply that to coming out of just the in part of the gift realm and coming into the sevenfold spirit of God. We can apply that there, where it's a more sure word. And it's not just fruit that's here today and gone tomorrow like the gifts are, but it becomes fruit that remains. But I can also apply these seven lamps of fire to the fire or the sun energy in the solar plexus that rises and there's seven, remember, seven candles on the candelabra. And as each one of our energy fields are lit, it's like this candelabra being lit one candle at a time. And it's a, it's a glory. But what I want to say about that, we see the instructions here. The voices have to do with instructions. And we see that before you get into chapter 5, which is the opening of the seals that seal up our backside. You see. And remember, the ancients called a person that had the energy fields all opened up they called them a book of life they called them the book of life and that's what you see in revelation 5 verse 1 where the book within esoteris the book within is sealed on the back side with seven seals and when you apply that to the physical body it's the seven energy fields it's the seven energy fields so it takes in a whole lot of stuff here as we look at the meanings of these words now verse 6 of revelation 4 it says there that before the throne was a sea of glass like crystal and four beasts full of eyes before and behind. Now, these beasts are talking about living creatures that express life. It's not talking about some barnyard creature. It's talking about living creatures expressing life. And notice it says they were before the throne and it was a sea of glass like crystal. In other words... The sea of glass is the Christ mind. And remember what I said about the Christ mind? It does two things. It filters out and it's a transmitter. Like our early television sets and our earlier radio sets used to be made of crystal. Why? Because they could transmit the voice that was speaking at the other end or on that television set or on that radio. And so the sea of glass, what does it do? It filters out the things we don't want. The Christ mind filters out these thoughts that try to rise up within us that are negative thoughts. And it also transmits, things that need to be transmitted are transmitted through, through the mind of Christ. Now, it goes on to say that these four beasts, will, they were full of eyes before and behind. What does that mean? Well, I shared with you before how when we see through the single eye, we're full of eyes. Remember you used to say to your mother, I think my mother can, has eyes in the back of her head because she saw everything and knew everything. But what is this speaking to us allegorically? Well, listen, the eyes behind have to do with our origin. And the eyes before have to do with us knowing where we're going. And listen, we cannot know where we're headed in our experience, subjective experience, unless we know our origin or unless we know where we came from. And that's so important. So you see, once we, once we begin to think with this Christ mind and with the single eye, then guess what? We're full of eyes. You know your origin, where you came from, and you know where you're headed. Now, look at verse 7. 
Here it lists four beasts. Now notice the order here. Now Ezekiel has them a little differently. But here in Revelation 4 verse 7, the four beasts are listed as the lion. And if you're going to look at the constellations, that's Leo. It lists a calf. Ezekiel calls it an ox. But here John the Revelator calls it a calf. That's Taurus in the constellations. And then a man, that's Aquarius. Follow the man carrying the water pitcher. And then the last one is a flying eagle, and that's Scorpio. Now, why would they mention these four here? Because among all of the constellations, there are four prominent ones. Just like the 12 tribes, there were three in the north, three in the south, three in the west, three in the east. But you know what? There was one prominent tribe in the north, one in the south, west, and east. And of course, we know the one in the north was Dan. The one in the south was Reuben. Ephraim was the west one. And of course, we know Judah East, the dawning of the new day, was on the east side. Also, we know that the breastplate of the high priest had 12 jewels upon them, but there were, again, four that were the more prominent ones. Now, here's what I want to show you, and I showed you this two weeks ago, I believe. But in Ezekiel, I'm just going to read this to you, chapter 1 and verse 10, Ezekiel saw these four beasts, these four faces here, and he saw two on the right side and two on the left side. And there was one prominent on each side. And let me read Ezekiel 1.10. It says, As for the likeness of their faces, they four had the face of a man and a face of a lion. And notice, on the right side. So the face of what? The face of a lion, it says there, and a man on the right side. The prominent one would be the lion of Judah, right? The east. And then it goes on to say, And they four had the face of an ox on the left side and also the face of an eagle. So you've got a lion as the prominent one here. You've got an eagle as the, prom uh, the prominent one over here on the left side. What is that designating? It's designating balance. Because what is the lion? It's Judah on the east side. What is the eagle? An eagle flies so high above the air current, it just glides. It just rests there. So what Ezekiel is showing in Ezekiel 1.10 is the balance between and the left. That, that's all that he's, that he's showing there. He's trying to show the balance. Something has taken place. A people look like the Jasper because they're utilizing the Christ mind. They realize the importance of the left side and that they have to yield that left side. And as they do, then the Christ mind comes over and swallows up the intellect. Not getting rid of the intellect or the human reasoning simply enhancing it and making it larger because the Christ mind has been utilized on the left side. Now, in closing here, and this is going to take a while to close, but let's look at verses 8 through 11, Revelation chapter 4, 8 through 11. As we talk about, and again, I'm still talking about what Aquarius looks like, what an Aquarian people really look like. And we're going to talk about the living creatures that say or cry, Night and day, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who is, who was, and is to come. And then we're going to look at casting crowns before the throne. And again, the throne is what we have created by joining the two together. And this is what a people look like that are involved and subjectively experiencing this Aquarian age. Not just in it according to some calendar, maybe it came in 2012, and perhaps it did. But that doesn't mean a whole lot to me until I can walk and subjectively experience what this Aquarian age represents to us, all right? So let's begin reading Revelation 4, verse 8. And the four beasts, 
and of course that's living creatures expressing life, not barnyard animals, had each of them six wings. And let me say something about the wings. In Ezekiel, and I'm not sure uh, where it is right now, but it says that the wings of the cherubim are heard clear out in the outer court. Mm. What does that mean? What are the wings? The voice of God. In other words, this word should be so simple that people in the outer court should be able to hear it, and children should be able to hear it and understand it. You know, it talks about the simplicity of Christ, and that's what I try to do is break it down, you know, and make it so simple that, you know, if a person sits under for a little while, it's, it just becomes common sense in a sense to them, common spiritual sense, all right? So, and the four beasts, verse 8 had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Now, this is what this people <clears throat> that we just read about and reviewed about in Revelation 4 are going to be doing. Holy, 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 day and night. How can you do that? How can you do that? Like Paul said, pray unceasingly. How can you pray without stopping all the time well we're going to find out what what this is talking about here then verse 9 says and when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever verse 10 the four and twenty elders fell down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and here it is this is the second thing i want to look at and cast their crowns before the throne not before the feet of Jesus, to cast their crowns before the throne that they created by joining masculine and feminine. And they say, in verse 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, <clears throat> and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. So let's look at both of these phrases. Those who are subjectively experiencing this Aquarian age Say, holy, holy, holy day and night, Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And then they cast their thrones, their, their crowns before the throne that they have created. So this one in verse 8, which states these things, that they cry day and night without resting, and they say, holy, holy, holy. How can you say holy, holy, holy constantly? I'm going to give you a couple ways. First of all, one way is as we walk in all that we have looked at in Revelation chapter 4. We are subjectively walking in it to the point to where we, and Isaiah said this, we are a praise and a worship unto him. Did you know Isaiah said that, that, that a people are the praise? They don't just do it and sing nice songs and lift up their hands, and, and I believe in all that stuff, but their lifestyle has become a praise. Yeah, that's good. Their lifestyle has become a worship, Okay. <clears throat> Because of these things that we've talked about here in Revelation chapter 4. Now, let me ask the question, what is our life? I remember when we used to say it. I used to say it. I was the chiefest of sinners on this one. <laughs> Even though I wasn't a sinner, but anyhow, I was the chief in saying this. We are a spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body. You know what I want to say to that tonight? <laughs> Absolutely not. You are consciousness. You are breath. You are spirit. And let me give an example. In Exodus, when Moses asked God, who shall I say sent them? Because I'm not going to believe that you sent me to deliver them out of Egyptian bondage. 
He said, tell them I am that I am. Now listen to this. Those words, I am, come from the Hebrew YHWH. And what they did is they added, because they didn't have any vowels in, in Hebrew, so they added later on an A and an E and made it Yahweh. However, the rabbis, in studying this out, found out that those letters, Y-H-W-H, represent breathing sounds or aspirated consonants sounding exactly like breathing. The Y-H is when you inhale. The W-H is when you exhale. Therefore, when an infant is born, takes their first breath, cries for the first time, they're uttering the name of the Father. Yeah. A deep sigh calls out his name. You ever heard anyone go, <sighs> they're sighing his name. A groan calls out his name. Even an atheist calls on his name, constantly acknowledging the name of the Lord just by their breathing. Likewise, when a person takes their last breath, leaving this earth physically, they're calling on the name of the Lord. So just being alive means that I'm constantly speaking out his name just by my inhaling and my exhaling. And therefore, when I'm the most silent verbally, I'm calling on his name just simply by my breathing. When a person is sad, they breathe heavy sighs. In joy, they almost feel like their lungs are going to burst because they're so full of, of that. They start breathing heavier, as a matter of fact. In fear, what does one do? They hold their breath until they're told, just take slow breaths, just take some slow breaths, and it'll calm you down. When we're about to do something and we're fearful, we may take a deep breath just to find our courage. So therefore, what I'm saying is, YHWH is our breathing, and it also is a form of praise and worship. And listen, our Father chose to give himself a name that cannot help but speak every moment that they're alive and breathing. Even while we're sleeping, we're breathing. When we're awake, we're breathing. Simply by the breath, we're calling on the name of the Lord. So, these that cry, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty, who is and was and is to come, or was and is and is to come, what are they doing? They are simply breathing, and they have become the praise and the worship unto the Father. Just by their breathing. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Just by the breathing. So the subjective experience is when we are aware and it really becomes a lifestyle to us. That's when, as Isaiah said, we are a praise and we are a worship. But you know what? It's more than just a lifestyle. It's even our very breath that is a praise and a worship unto him. So we can forget about all the traditional stuff we learned that we had to do and all the hoops we had to jump through to become a praise and a worship. No, it's our life and it's our breath. Now, notice in verse 10, verse 10, as we talk about casting the crowns before the throne, it says, The four and twenty elders fell down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne. Now, first of all, let me say again, what is the throne? Isaiah said, our heart is the throne. Our heart awareness is the throne. 
Jesus, in giving the parable of the sower sowing the seed, said that the ground was the heart. In Mark 4 and Matthew 13, I believe it is. The ground is the heart. So we sow the seed from our right side, the Christ mind, into the what? The ground of our heart. And Isaiah said that that is, that is the throne. So we subjectively create the throne then when the two are joined together. As we yield the left, or as we yield the lower thoughts, and even the intellect, reasoning, the emotions, and, and the five senses, as we yield all that to the right side, what are we doing? We are casting, because as we yield it, we're joining the two. It's simultaneous. We're joining the two. And as the two are joined, you have created the throne, and so what are you doing? You are taking, listen to this, you're taking that gift of intellect that Father gave you and you're casting before the throne. Mm -hmm. These are gifts too. Your intellect is a gift. Mm -hmm. Our logic, our ego, it's a gift. But it wasn't given to us to rule and to lead our life. It was given to, they have different roles. And like I said before, one is not lesser than the other. Just like it says of Eve that she was a helpmeet, which means an equivalent. Adam needed Eve, Eve needed Adam to birth forth life. So our right side needed the left side, our left side needed the right side. That's good. So you see, our logic is a gift from God, our intellect is a gift from God, our five senses are a gift from God. If you couldn't feel pain, mm -hmm. see that's a gift to know your five senses can feel when something's not right. Our emotions are a gift of God. So all of those things are gifts. So when we yield them, what are we doing? We're casting, we're creating the throne simultaneously, and we're casting our crowns or those gifts he's given us before the throne. Now, the Hebrew word for crown in the Hebrew is C-H-A-P-L-E-T, chaplet. And it means a headdress in the form of a wreath made of leaves, flowers, or twigs, woven into a ring and worn to signify victory, especially for victors of the Olympic Games. In the Greek, this crown means a wreath. It means honor, reward, fame, renown, and, and it means a crown. And so to cast them down is to show that the victory is due to Christ, not us in and of ourselves. Because in verse 10 it goes on to state, For thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory. See, we're, we're taking the gift of the intellect and the logic and the, thank God we have a reasoning ability, and we're casting that before what? The throne which we have created as the two have become one. It's a simultaneous thing. As we yield it, we're creating a throne. As we yield the reasoning, we're creating the throne. And we're casting those things, those gifts of intellect and reasoning before the throne, realizing that the honor, as it says in verse 10, Lord, you are worthy to receive the glory and the honor, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. That's good. Now that takes me back to something else, because even though those things are gifts from God, the intellect, the reasoning, the logic, the ego, the five senses, the emotion, there's a reason why he gave us those, they're gifts. But let me take it a little bit further. We have probably all operated in one form or another in some of the gifts of the Spirit that Paul talks about. Maybe the gift of healing. And those are great, and they're given of God. They're gifts of the Spirit. We all have gifts. Maybe the gift of prophecy. 
I used to operate in that from time to time. Maybe the gift of the word of wisdom, the gift of the word of knowledge. But you know what? The gift of the word of wisdom and the gift of the word of knowledge are only fragmentary parts of the wisdom or the knowledge of God for any given situation. So they're in part. Paul called them in part. Mm -hmm. So what we want to do is we want to even yield those gifts. The gift of healing, the gift of prophecy, the gift of the word of wisdom, the gift of the word of, of knowledge. We want to yield those things. That's good. Because they're in part, Paul said, we want to yield them to the sevenfold spirit of God of Isaiah chapter 11. What is the difference? What is the difference between the gifts and the sevenfold spirit of God? The difference is the gifts are in part, and yes, they bear fruit, but sometimes it's short-lived fruit. You know, the healings that Jesus performed, the people got sick again. Not because anything was wrong with the healings, but something was wrong right here with those people. They were in duality. It was the, it was the age of Pisces. And the age of Pisces, if you would see the age of Pisces, it's one fish swimming upward and one fish swimming downward. And the one that's swimming upward is swimming right into the age of Aquarius. It's duality. Those people were in duality. And that's why Jesus, that's why those that he healed got sick again, those he raised from the dead turned around and died again. But there's something greater today. Once we begin to experience this age of Aquarius and what we've talked about in Revelation That's chapter true. 4, we move beyond just the gift realm, a fragmentary part of any you know, gift of wisdom or knowledge for any person that needs that, and many people need that, but we move into the sevenfold spirit of God where it becomes fruit that remains. Now let me give you one example. I'm going to close. Years ago I taught a series of teachings that I called the mind and the voice of the prophet, priest, and king. The mind and the voice. I even have books. It was, uh, it was actually what I wrote for my thesis to get my doctorate. The mind and the voice of the prophet, priest, and king. It had to be 90,000 words. So, yeah, that's a lot of words. So they took some of my teaching. I had them transcribed and put them in two volumes, which I no longer give anyone anymore. But uh, I will say this. What I taught in that was I used Saul as the example Saul represents anointed flesh, gifts of the Spirit. In the last days, I'll pour out my Spirit upon you, and you'll prophesy, and you'll do those things. Saul represented anointed flesh. But David, and then on into Solomon, represents fruit that remains. That's the difference there. And that's the difference between the gift realm, operating in the impart. So in other words, what am I saying? There comes a time you yield those gifts to spirit because you want to be able to see people bear fruit that remains and not just something that's here today and gone tomorrow. See, and remember, David couldn't build the house of the Lord, but listen, Solomon was an extension of David and David could build the house of the Lord. And that's what I want to do is build the house of the Lord. Meaning what? I show people, and I'm going to give you a few scriptures in closing, I show people that they can bear fruit that remains by turning in to their own well rather than always thinking they need someone. Please pray for me. Please lay hands on me. Now, we do this in our church at Portland. We pray for people. We would pray for people here. But what ultimately what we want to see is people draw out of their own well. That's good. Physician, heal thyself, like Jesus said. I know you've experienced that. Physician, heal thyself. Yeah. That is when you move just from the gift realm, Saul, anointed flesh, into the mind and the voice of the king, mm -hmm. the king, where you really, truly get to build the house of God 
And as you build the house of God, you're dealing with fruit that remains. Now, let me give you three scriptures, and I'm not even going to tell you where they're at because I didn't write them down. Three scriptures that are a part of the subjective experience that we're beginning to have in this age of Aquarius. Number one, and I think this is Isaiah, I know it's in Isaiah somewhere, where it says, they will beat their swords into plowshares and steady war no more. Beat their plows into, beat their swords into plowshares and steady war no more. Now that's both physically and spiritually. We're not fighting a demon or a devil. We're not fighting people. We're not fighting, fighting the Democrats or the Republicans. We're at peace. Solomon means peace. And we're building the house of the Lord by moving from the anointed flesh to the mind of the king or the mind of Christ. Another scripture, and I love this one, is seed time and harvest will bring about suddenlies. What do I mean? Well, when you read in some translations, and I'm not sure about the King James, but I think it's this way in the King James, it doesn't say seed, one word, and then time, another word, and then harvest, another word. It's seed time. S-E-E-D-T-I-M-E. -E -E, one word. What does that mean? Seed time and harvest? Well, it simply means that the plowman will overtake the reaper. In other words, instant suddenness in the age of Aquarius. Sow the seed, bam, it's there. Now in the natural, you've got to sow the seed and it takes some time. But we're talking spiritual. We're talking about age of Aquarius. We're talking about Revelation chapter 4 and what this Aquarian people look like and how they walk and what they experience subjectively. And then here's the last one. When Jesus said, these things shall you do and greater. These things shall you do and greater. Now, I don't believe that the things we do that are greater than what Jesus did are signs, wonders, and miracles. It's realizing you are the sign. That's good. You are the miracle. And when we real and Isaiah said that, that a people are the sign. And again, what happens when we do these greater works? And what are the greater works? It's showing people how they have it all within them. None of us have one iota more than another one of us. We all have the same allness and isness and nowness within us, right? In the lovely here and now. Yes. Don't have to wait yes. for it. So I'm looking forward to, you know, what is going to happen as we truly, spiritually, beat our swords into plowshares and steady war no more. And we do what? We rule simply, not by getting a greater power to overcome what we consider to be a lesser power, but just recognizing the one power. Turn on the light of the one power. And it swallows up anything that appears to be darkness. And I believe that greater works are already happening because people are beginning to learn how to draw out of their own well. I believe seed time, one word, and harvest, the suddenlies are beginning to happen. And I'm going to say this in closing. We ain't seen nothing yet. Compared to what we're going to see, and not only see, but what we're going to subjectively experience in each and every one of our lives. So I'm going to incorporate, just for a little while, some more of the book of Revelation like we did before into the Mind-Brain Connection series. I'm not sure where all we're going to go. Uh, I don't even know where I'm going to go, but I do know that I'm sensing within myself that bring some more of the book of Revelation. Now, we already taught on the opening of the seals in Revelation chapter 5, but I do want us to realize something. If we want to experience the opening of the seals... Jesus taught us how to do that. We don't have to buy the sunglasses that the world sells. We don't have to take certain supplements that they say, well, this will open up your, you know, your 
chakras, as they say, and the kundalini will begin to flow. Now, Jesus told us how to do it. Meditate, turn within, go into the prayer chamber, close the door. In other words, go into yourself, shut off what the appearance realm is trying to dictate to you. Love your enemies. As we do those things that Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, that is what's going to open up the energy fields. And as it says in Malachi, the sun, S-U-N, where are we living? Are we living on uh, just some planet that's just here physically, or are we living on a solar system? Are we in the solar system? Yeah, we're in the solar system. So what is that S-U-N when it talks about the S-U-N in Malachi? The sun of righteousness shall rise with healing, the voice of God in his wings, and what happens? It talks about health speeding forth speedily, coming forth speedily. And that's, what is that? If we want to walk in health, you know, all the, all, even religious people believe that they can have health and, and that they can walk in wealth and all this sort of thing. But I see something greater. I see that our whole spirit, soul, and body, as the Amplified says in First Thessalonians 5.23, we are spiritified or spirit slowed down to visibility in our whole being. And that's why I say many times, my body is just as spirit as my spirit is spirit. I'm spirit through and through. But you know what? Why am I not experiencing that to where I could just walk through a wall without opening a door or walk on the water? I, I don't fully realize that yet. It's beginning to be revealed and quickened and conceived within us fold by fold of the veil. The veil has been done away, but it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we have to take it away. We're taking it away as we get these truths. It's been done away, but now it's being taken away as this truth comes forth and it resonates with us. And the seals begin of the book begin to be, we're the book, begin, we're living epistles. As those seals are open on the back side, we truly then begin to experience subjectively the health that we actually came here with. We came here with it. He is our health as us. He is our wealth as us. He is our all. Everything we could imagine, he is that as us. And we came here with it from before the foundation. I'm really on a soapbox now. Because I'm talking my own language tonight. This is my own language. So that's what we can expect to subjectively experience. And we are. It's already happening. It's not in our future. It's already happening. As time goes on and, and more of the folds of the veil are, are lifted, we'll experience it more and more as time goes on. But we need to realize that he's blessed us already with everything we could imagine. And as we just come to the understanding of that, the realization of that, we're going to experience it. And it's going to be something, it's going to be fruit that remains. Fruit that remains in our life. We're never going to go back to, you know, those Jesus healed got sick again and those he raised from the dead turned around and croaked again. No, we're not going to go back to that. We're going to experience this consistently in this the age of Aquarius. So, Father, we just thank you tonight for your word. Your spirit, which is our spirit, that conceives and quickens this word within us. Thank you for your love and for your grace. Thank you for who you are as us. Thank you that we are the many-membered Christ in the earth. And that we are on the verge of experiencing a new life and a new subjective experience beyond anything we have ever experienced before. We thank you for that. In the name of the Lord. Amen. 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 Amen.